before we get started with today's episode, check out the Show Some NOLA experience online. It's a monthly subscription opportunity to experience New Orleans wherever you are and support the local businesses that make the city special. That's S-H-E-A-U-X, SumNOLA.com. Enjoy today's episode. This is the Show Some Nola Experience. I am your host, uh, as always, Jonathan Floyd, owner of Boxicare Gift Company. Typically, when I introduce people, I try to limit it to just a couple of things, like titles or whatever. But this guy, I mean, has has a lot. Um, he's a trailblazer, a businessman, entrepreneur, master brewer, community activist, uh, cultural ambassador, master brewer. I might have said that before. Uh, visionary and owner of Cajun Fire Brewing Company. Mr. John Renthorpe, John, how are you? I'm, I'm good, man. I appreciate that introduction. I'm glad you think so highly of me. Absolutely. Most of that I came up with on my own. Some of the other stuff I was like looking for inspiration. Um, thank you, bro. How, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm uh, I'm appreciative of the opportunity. Uh, and thank you for hosting me and, and sharing me with your listening audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, so years ago, I did a podcast during the, the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You did that which I appreciate, and you're doing this with me now, so I yeah, appreciate you for, for taking the time to do this. Um, it's just kind of guy you are. Always help. If I need something, you're always available, always helpful, not just to me, but to the community. So I, I thank you for that. Um, so I'm, I'm jump right into it. Mm-hmm. New Orleans native, raised in New Orleans East. Tell me about your childhood and, and growing up. You, and I know you, you went to a certain high school. You can talk about oh, certain. Yeah, I went, to, I went to a certain high school. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm born and raised in New Orleans. I'm a second generation New Orleanian. Uh, my family is from uh, Bayou Country as well as uh, West Louisiana. So uh, 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 Sh- uh, Sheraton, Louisiana, which is by Morgan City. And then uh, in um, a couple other areas that people don't know, like, you know, Four Corners, I say more. I say Sheraton and and Baldwin because of, uh, and Berwick and all those areas. But a lot of people are just not familiar with those areas. Um, it's areas where you have strong black uh, business communities. Um, a lot of a lot of family orientation, and that's what was raised on me. Um, even my father, he's from Kendall, Louisiana. Um, so that's around like Lake Charles. So you know, um, being born and raised in New Orleans, um, the culture was very unique. Um, and I just love the city. It's imparted in me a lot of different, um, uh, just not only my personality, but also just my, my hustle mentality, uh, just all these different things that the cultures and foods in me. So I really do not take it for granted being born and raised in the area. Um, probably, you know, my, my most influential things, unfortunately, you know, I experienced Hurricane Katrina when I was in uh, senior high school. Uh, so that made me really get grounded in not only uh, just the significance of my community, uh, but also the, the work that needed to be done um, and also I was raised with my grandmother. She um, taught special education for 65 years. Uh, so I think a lot of her patience, uh, let alone her religious background is directly imbued into me. And then, um, you know, our family, we are full of entrepreneurs. So I had a great grandfather. He used to be a hog farm owner. Uh, my grandmother, I mentioned uh, Annie Bruna. She um, uh, created the first uh, school for, for um, black children in, in the area she was in. Uh, so it's a lot of it's a lot of things that they've done and that that I've been a fond of uh, that made me into the person I am today. Right now, got two kids. I'm a father. I'm married. Um, I stay. I reside in Gentilly, and uh, I took on brewing beer 
as a as a hobby and a, as a byproduct of that, been able to carry the business empire out. And I went to St. Augustine High School, <laughs> so you know Go ahead. that, that goes. We could talk about that for thirty minutes. <laughs> At a minimum, but I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm save it for later. But um, yeah, that's that's my upbringing. I went to uh, University of Florida. Um, that's why I went to my undergraduate studies in political science and environmental studies. Um, I'm, when I moved to New Orleans, back to New Orleans, I also uh, get further education. I got a master's degree in zoning and uh, city development planning, um, which I didn't realize I was going to use as much as I've been using now, but I'll save a little bit for later conversation. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you, said, you said a mouthful. Um, I also know and have read, like you have Native American influence in your family as well. Yeah, so I'm a member of the United Nation Homa Indians, which is um indigenous uh, tribe uh, that's situated right around Homa, around Ironton area. Uh, so that's that's also my background and heritage. Okay, mm -hmm. you you mentioned something. Now I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm bringing it up. I'm not saying you are. You sound like a future politician. Nah. <laughs> you said political science, zoning. Well, yeah, I, I want. Am I councilman? I, I, I think you know. I, I think going into business, you have to be equipped with that knowledge. Either that, or you're gonna have to pay for it in some form of you know way. So you you have to you know. I, I don't know how I went into that that pivot, um, but I think when I, I was looking at the opportunities that exist to impart change in my community, it kind of it kind of made sense for me to kind of learn about those those policies and the actions and now even in my my industries is a very regulated industry i have to be equipped with that information yeah no that makes sense that makes sense so let's fast forward to 2011 you get the idea for cajun fire knowing that the beer industry it doesn't have a lot of black brewmasters. It doesn't didn't have any all <laughs> i say many if any brewmasters many if any businesses, you know, I mentioned Trailblazer, knowing that you were going to start the first one in the South. Mm -hmm. I mean, take me through that process, like to get to a point where to turn it from, because a lot of people may do it as a hobby mm -hmm. to say, you know what? No, I want to start a business with this, knowing from the beginning that you were going to have hurdles with it. How did you get to that point? So I guess backtracking, um, when I when I was just I was displaced after Hurricane Katrina, I stayed in Baton Rouge. I was applying to schools, and I I was thankful enough to get a partnership school scholarship to University of Florida that St. Augustine offered at the time. Uh, when I moved out there, I had a lot of my belongings, like I had like gumbo pots and kettle pots and stuff like that, because I did, you know, I, I definitely wanted to go into culinary, um, just some form of culinary institute, and you know, I just wasn't in a space that that allotted that. So I still was interested in uh, food and. Um, just doing restaurant uh, hobbies and things like that. And I, you know, I had all intention that I eventually I wanted to own my own business. I always knew I wanted to own my own business. Um, so when I was in Gainesville, I started trying out craft beer. And a lot of times, even in that, that space, craft beer was something that was new and mysterious. You know, I'm talking 2004, 2005, uh, 2006. And it, it just wasn't as... Um, just commercially viable and accepted as, as you see it today. Um, so I, I started trying out products. 
I wanted to learn how to make it because I couldn't afford it because <laughs> it's expensive. And uh, I had these big pots and I started looking up how to brew the beers and things like that. And I just kept scaling up. The first couple of beers I made came out pretty tasty. And um, I just took a real hobby to the to the to just the culture of it. And um, from there, I realized just the economic impact that it could make. I studied New Orleans history. I looked at how a city was once um, a mecca for craft beer warehouses. Um, and that was between prohibition and then double down on it would be Katrina. All those manufacturing entities are pretty much swept away and removed. Uh, you know, Jack's Brewery was no longer comp- producing at that capacity. Um, Zia's, which was a, a you know, a st- they still had a rest. They still a restaurant in operation, but there used to be a craft beer component to it. Um, they weren't operating like that. And the only company I had to look for that I could reach out to and touch and reach out to somebody that was in New Orleans was uh, New Orleans uh, Brewing, New Orleans, uh, Nola Brewing Company, which okay. founded in 2008. And uh, that, the, the owner, Kirk Coco, he was real receptive. He uh, kind of looked at me crazy because he was like, you know, I had no facial hair. I was barely in my early, I was in my early 20s and I was reaching out to him. Um, and he was one of the, the few people that was receptive enough to see, I guess, look in my eyes and see, oh, all right, he wants to be in this space. So I always want to be in the space of an owner versus a consumer. And, uh, you know, from there, I started looking at the national landscape to find out if there's anybody that looked like me that um, engaged in this industry. And, you know, the only people I would find was dead and gone. Or, you know, I had Celeste Betty out of Harlem Brewing Company that I uh, reached out to. And that was my only mentor base. So uh, I said, all right, um, when I come back to the city, I see how viable these these breweries are. I'm going to set up my own brewery and then aid in uh, reducing some of the blight that Hurricane Katrina had uh, devastated on us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that kind of took me on that road. Okay. So uh, I want to ask about the socioeconomic stuff, mm-hmm. but why beer? Like, I mean, were you what? like a beer drinker as opposed to vodkas or others like other spirits what well, uh, <laughs> beer in particular so i kind of drank it all <laughs> uh you know I, I drank everything man I, I don't know what's wrong with me um but beer i just i just really like the flavor profile of it um i like that it wasn't too um i guess i could still function and drink drink a couple beers and uh then i just started to develop an appreciation when i realized just how complex it was how you can pair it with different foods, how you can cook with it. It was it was so many different uh, layers to that product. And then let alone just the the um, the development of it. I took like a lot of um, it was very therapeutic making beer for me, you know, even like the component where you got to clean a lot of the stuff and sanitize it because this is very much a lot of biochemistry that's involved with it. Um, I just thought it was very um, not only fulfilling, but also rewarding once you got a product that you crafted, that you nurtured and like 30 or 40 days later, you can taste it and share it with friends and family. So I, I just like all those aspects of it. And um, from from just a hobbyist standpoint to then developing a true appreciation for the craft and then seeing uh, just my own reflection in the space of brewing it and studying the history and our contributions, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. I need to go all the way in on it and uh, not waste my time. And, um, you know, I, I really went all the way in on the industry. Um, I not only studied the craft from the present, but also appreciated the historical context with it. But what really fueled me was the fact that, you know, a lot of our contributions and narratives, um, just just engagement with the industry was 
pretty much erased. We weren't, you know, we aren't, we still are in a situation where we're not receiving any kind of monetary revenues that, that are worth anything and a, a cultural relevant brand, a product that is, um, it's the, it's one of the oldest, uh, developed products in civilization, beer, you know, even over, older than wine. So, you know, I, um, it, it was a lot that, that inspired me to say, all right, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And if I'm a, I'm gonna be in this space. I'm gonna really rock it out and be as authentic and New Orleanian as I can be, and uh, it, it served me well so far. So yeah, it's it's crazy because you see now there's a lot of like black um, vodka companies. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot relative relative to what it was I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Vodka and other spirits, and we talked before there's Uncle Nearest and like some mm-hmm. of these other like brands that are bourbons and all that stuff and it's crazy that the beer space has just been so so much smaller mm-hmm. in comparison to that stuff so that's that's interesting um to hear how it came to be but even still now to this day how how much further behind beer is with growth for inclusion of black owned businesses and you know in comparison to some of other so that's interesting um you talked about the the socio-economic impact that you aim to fire Aim to fire, aim to have with Cajun fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some of the goals? What are, what's some of the impact that you want to have in, in a post Katrina New Orleans? Now, post COVID, post Ida. There's always something in New Orleans that you can't, uh, we can't escape from a just a natural thing. It just you can't get away from. But like, what, what's what's some of your, your goals? Um, yeah, it's it's really I, I keep referring to this Jacob's ladder. And if you're in a business situation, this is it's wild, man. It's every every year there's something that tests uh, your mantle and tests your business model. But um, my my mission statement has been from 2011 to now, uh, brewing for social economic change, one pint at a time. So you know it's very short, it's very concise, concise. It doesn't have any room for like any kind of uh, aversion. Um, it's pretty much just stating that you know we we are in a it's a multi billion dollar industry. Um, when I got in, it was like maybe 500 brewer, 5,000 brewers in operation in the U.S. I was one of two that had an EIN. I was in operation. And um, now, fast forward 10 years later, uh, 11 years later, uh, it's still it's like 10,000 crab breweries in operation. Only 80 are black owned. So, you know, that that socioeconomic piece. Right. It um, if you just really deep dive into it and look at all right, how many people are being employed gainfully from breweries when you got a billion dollar industry it's quite a bit. And it's like not only just the manufacturing of it, it's the the auxiliary industries like the freight companies, uh, the companies that make all the uh, the pilot systems, the, the things that the, the brewers, the beers are brewed in, all that equipment, all that servicing. Now you, you're looking at close to a million plus people that's employed by, directly employed by brewing production and maybe uh, not even kidding in the u.s maybe a thousand people maybe that's black owned that's that's in that space maybe in the state of louisiana maybe six maybe ten you know so uh it, it's definitely you know I, I realized very you know even in that that space you know in my early 20s with the business i realized you know i was in the business of beer production and a lot of people mind automatically go to celebration good times they don't think about like the um the legacy building that you can have associated with it or like just the the amount of the sheer volume of revenues that you can achieve uh for it so you know it's very much a, to me 
my mission, like I mentioned, bro, for socioeconomic change, one pint at a time. Uh, for me, it really is like a, almost like a civil rights, a reemergence of a civil rights situation. And, you know, it's beer, but it's, it's grant is more um more significant to me than that it's like about manufacturing having the, the right to um to engage that industry and manufacture your own products wow yeah i mean that like you said again you said a mouthful there um that you just made me think about the role beer has kind of played in society especially mm-hmm. in america yeah um yeah like i mentioned like new orleans like the port Dog, like the uh, the World War II Museum, that was that's, that used to be uh, the the infrastructure for that used to be a German brewery. Uh, I'm a butcher the name, so I ain't even gonna attempt to say it. <laughs> but you know, we had a, a large influx of German population in in the city of New Orleans. It's probably like one of the biggest uh, indexes for quite some time. Uh, and they had like all all along the Mississippi River, there was nothing but uh, breweries and. You know, even from my contribution standpoint, a lot of the people that was working inside these brewers was black Americans. So it's like, you know, a lot of that uh, post Jim Crow, a lot of that was removed and, you know, then became the the unions where a lot of these companies union up and then pro- prohibited anybody black from being in those spaces. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of history. It's just a lot of it is not really discussed. Um it's slowly starting to trend when people are starting to look into the the deeper significance of breweries. You know, in the nineties, there was a wave of, uh, even the eighties, there was a wave of Bud Light commercials and things like that. That was like just themed around like good times, partying, you know, everybody remember the frogs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, God forbid, now you probably, you definitely couldn't get away with it, but like bikinis and, you know, women in bikinis throwing beers at men. So now it's, it's, uh, I think enough communities have, uh, received the benefit of having a brewery to engage the economics in the in a city city centers where people are taking it more serious now. You got uh, breweries influencing policy. You got uh, breweries putting money on uh, political candidates like uh, plates. So it's a lot of it's a, it's a lot more significant. It's going back to the significance than what once had like in the early nineteenth century. No, you make again a lot of a lot of great points, which I think is a great segue to my next question around the hub in New Orleans East. So mm-hmm. a while back you sent me a video and I watched a video of the land and to the naked untrained eye, it is just that, it's, it's land. Mm-hmm. When I introduced you, I mentioned you as a visionary. So you have a vision for 14 acres in New Orleans East and what that's gonna look like as a cultural hub. And you talked about legacy, you talked about um, kind of shaping New Orleans through your company and beer and all that other like th- that all kind of wraps together mm-hmm. with this hub in New Orleans East. Tell me about that. So, so I guess <clears throat> what kind of led me to because I'm now I'm actually a commercial developer. <laughs> so that and I kind of forgot to explain this as well. Like so, um, I started my company in Louisiana. Well, Louisiana, even though we got drive through daiquiri shops. Mm-hmm. Um, we got open container laws. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a lot of liberties that a lot of other states don't allot to their citizens, uh, visitors. Um, but if you're on a consumer side, I mean, if you're on the manufacturing side, uh, we have the most regulated state in the U.S. So, like, when I'm in these spaces where I'm talking to other uh, now a collective of other black brewery, brewers that's in the different states, they don't necessarily have, like, a lot of the... Uh, the legislation or legal system to contend with when you're talking about being a manufacturer and all the different permits and um, inability to self-distribute your product, things that that are you know borderline prohibition in my from all intents purposes. So um, when I was 
when I was first starting my company and I was looking for a location to do a brick and mortar, you know, keep in mind I'm black. So I have to di- I have to contend with things that pre-exist systemically like redlining, uh, where, you know, I had, I must have submitted uh, maybe close to 30 letter of intents on properties. And I, I had people tell me from all different things, like can't do business with you because of, of religious reasons to, you know, if I'm lucky, they'll tell me that. Uh, but if I'm unlucky, I'll get a no response, no pulse, and then I'll just kind of sit on it and get anxiety and then eventually move on to the next property that I could identify. Well, I, I know I needed a, a property that I could scale on, but I also wanted to, uh, you know, again, uh, engage uh, economic stimulus and wherever I was at. And I was like, all right, well, I'm born in the East. We got ample enough property. Uh, let me see what, what we can do. Well, the, the next thing became, all right, finding a property that's zoned correctly in Louisiana, uh, Brewer production is still uh, classified as a sin-based business. Um, it was like one thing after another. But I found I found a perfect location. Uh, even you know the, the spot I found, how I found it, I had to climb through some vegetation. I saw they had like some signage. Find uh, called like I think it was corporate realty, and I found who was the owner. Um, the property I'm speaking of is like 14 acres. It's right adjacent to uh, Jazzland slash Six Flags, where we have um, a Bayou Phoenix development that I'm hopeful of. Um, but it's right off the I 10 service road, um, past the six. I mean, it's at the corner of I 10 and 610. So I got all kind of traction. Well, I did my homework on the property, and this is before like drones was as accessible as you can you can get them now from like Costco and all that. But in like 2014, 2015, 2016, it just wasn't commercial where like everyday person could just get a drone and figure it out. So I had to really do some legwork and canvas and find out what's a viable spot for me to develop on. Well, found this property. Um, me and my parents, we uh, wind up uh, getting it getting it sold to us um, in Gretna Court. <laughs> uh, it was owned by like 14 different entities. Uh, we had to negotiate and, and and really get get our negotiating wheels on, and it was actually able to buy it. And uh, you know that's you know impressive in my opinion because it's like you know not not often you have uh, black Americans would have that much land commercially viable land right off the interstate that we have ownership of. But um, getting site control of that property, it, it truly transformed the trajectory of my brand because now. We had something that we can pivot into. We had something we could build upon, and then you know, even from um, just my financial input, I can I can feel confident that I'm not just throwing my money away in something that could dissolve overnight or you know by court just be taken away. Um, so the property we dubbed it the New Orleans East Cultural Hub. Um, you know, it's trademarked and everything. That's what that location is called. And with with Cajun Fire, it will serve as the anchor business. Um, and we're still developing that property. Uh, we got it. It was um, 14 feet below sea level, like elevation. Uh, so the floodplain, you ha- you're required by uh, law. You got to have at least three to four pe- feet above elevation before you can start developing on it. So we've been developing, truly getting it out the mud. <laughs> I hate that term, bro, because it's like it's so tried and true. And it's, it's almost online. Like when people tell you, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Right, right, right. It's like it's, it's in that same realm for me. Right. Uh, but it really is what we had to do. That area was like no infrastructure, just straight up like, you know, we had trucks driving in, not so much now, but driving in. You could have trucks sink and that'd be a production day. 
Um, so we we just been channeling the revenues I've been making from the beer. We've been channeling that into our um, our construction and, and moving it. I mean, we have um, flirted with a couple banks, like trying to get access, but you know, it's we still have a lot of those systemic barriers. So we've been you know doing it out of pocket, and um, you know, right now it's it's only a matter of time. Thankfully, I got in this space when I was young. So I'm like, all right, I know there's a, a cross in the road where eventually will either attract a significant investor that, that says the right things and we feel comfortable with, or, um, you know, we just make ourselves too big to be ignored. And right now we're kind of at that that threshold where now with all the different developments that are coming around our property now, uh, we're in the center of that. And, um, you know, I think our investment in the past when you know a lot of people were saying we shouldn't invest in the east which i'm from so i took a lot of offense to that um it's now going to pay off you know well past what i could have imagined in the, in the in the past um so it's again it's 14 acres commercial land um we'll be able to build uh, manufacturing entities for other businesses that have difficulties like i experienced with getting access to go, uh, ghost kitchens and just a manufacturing hub and uh yep that's that's kind of that's where we at right now with it I don't know. I don't know. So close to that, that jazz land. Oh yeah, we right. We literally. So if you coming in the city, we'll be the first thing you see coming in. So you know, between that spread when you get off the bridge from uh, Slide L, mm-hmm. there's pretty much nothing there until you reach Mishu, and then right after that sign, we're we're right after the Welcome to New Orleans fixture. We're right next to that, and how it's set up, uh, we'll be the most visible uh, brewing production facility in the state of Louisiana. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what I guess what are the chances that you end up there and they're gonna be doing the Bayou Phoenix? I mean, I've been kind of keeping mm-hmm. up with that. I mean, I know it's going through a lot of stuff, but like just man, what a perfect place to Right, right. To so be. and we and we I know I, I, one thing that's significant about our property is we have full site control. So, you know, we uh not you know, we just hundred percent own our property. So we can really build it to the capacity they want. We can scale it how we need to. Um, we're not kind of bound by some of those things that that would restrict your growth. Uh, so we, you know, we we hit to make an impact. So ultimately, is it like um, are there restaurants in the area? Like, is it all like because um, they had the plans for Bayou Phoenix? I've kind of seen some of that mm-hmm. where it's like I don't think they do like sports complex. I'm not really sure. It's a um, so they had a, they had a presentation I attended. And I'm kind of I want to. I don't want to butcher it, but it's a lot, uh, you know, from a hotel uh, mm-hmm. to the water park, mm-hmm. uh, but also, you know, uh, having sports complex, particularly for, um, you know, there's traveling agencies where um, you have these hostings and you can have a, a whole lot of different uh, D1 and, and all these different groups come in and just really stay there and really get their, get their games in. Mm-hmm. They, they're developing that. And I think that's going to be very viable uh, for that area. And even like a, Man, might be butchering it again. It's a, I think it's a film studio that's looking at setting up shop over there as well. So it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of opportunity. Even on my property, man, I done had to run off a couple film studios that just go on my property and just shoot <laughs> renegade style and, really? and shoot. Yep. So, uh, that's been interesting, but, uh, it just shows you again, it's a very viable piece of land where, you know, if a film studio can set up a whole production on your space, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's that's telling. So, uh, you know, um, on my property, uh, even like for opportunities for hosting festivals, um, that exists the opportunity as well. So, wow. yeah, because you imagine like, you know, you're driving in and, and on the interstate, you see a big ass festival on the side of the interstate. So, you know, it's it's just a lot of room and opportunity for growth. And I'm really um, happy about that and how it's turned out. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. all. I, I, look, I look forward to it. I mean, like I said, I, you, you sent me a video. Looked at the video, the drone footage, and it's like, 
it's like I could see it and envision some things, but uh, I mean, it's just that's gonna be special. Mm-hmm. Gonna be really, really, really special. And then, and then <clears throat> for an area in the city, man, that needs that because as you drive from the city to the east to Slidell, like it just kind of starts to fall off of off the interstate of what you see. Initially, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, so you get to a point where you hit the twin spans and there's literally nothing out there from a business standpoint, or at least nothing that's like you'd want to go to. Well, we're, we're a tourist capital and there's nothing like, if you just be frank with it, ain't nothing that's going to attract the tourists. Even like, you know, you got NASA that's mm-hmm. kind of in the backdrop and it's not even a committed effort to highlight that. You know, mm-hmm. imagine, imagine, especially in the area we in, imagine all the people that needs to be just informed and empowered about all the opportunities that exist with STEM mm-hmm. right within a mile walking distance. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the got impetus and making that that there's a huge 150,000 square feet expansion of NASA that's going on right next door to me. So um, it's a lot. Now it's a, it's a lot of promise and opportunity. I just hope it could close on that and really, um, really create something transparent, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, no, I, 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 and I think hearing you say all this, it's kind of on brand for you because it's just like nobody else is doing it. And you like jump in to do it. So that, I mean, that's, that's good. And I like, I will obviously follow the progress mm-hmm. through the years and then obviously support, you know, as time goes on, the community kind of gathers around that, that sort of effort. But it's one of the things <clears throat> to your point, it's like, you have to get it going because nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. And then people you start to come. Down 911 and ain't nobody coming. <laughs> <laughs> people start to jump. I think that's it's business, small businesses. This yeah. is what it is. Like, it's not, there's no, nobody coming in to save and, rescue so that that makes sense um i mean we talked about a whole bunch of stuff but not really the beer so yeah so the, i mean the beer is good um i fashion my style so my, my beer style is fashion off of i i started when i started brewing beer i was using honeys and um and molasses which is you know that's i could find that a lot i could source that material mm-hmm. uh it, it, it doesn't have it you know as an ingredient it's the best ingredient you can use you put in a glass vat and it never expires you right. know they still find honey in Egyptian tombs that, you know, people be sampling and stuff like that and testing it out. And it, it really is a, um, a unique product that really doesn't get too much love and play as far as, um, uh, ingredient portfolio and a lot of other beer companies. So from distinction, you know, when we first released our products, my first beer that, that was my flagship, that is my flagship is a honey ale that we make. And we've been kind of tweaking it a little bit over the years, but for the most part, um that's been the mainstay uh from there we got more complexity with it where we have a stout that's kind of similar to like a uh, guinness uh normally what we try to do is uh gravitate to beers that have a traditional influence but also to market to those which you know black americans traditionally consume most most black americans they first real uh tiptoeing to like a um I would call it a complex or non-light style beer would be a Guinness. So we, we, you know, between that and the Heineken, uh, which is like a German coach. So we, we try to, we try to emulate those styles and just give them that, that New Orleans flair. So we even got a stout that we make, uh, as part of a Black is Beautiful collaboration, uh, that has beignets in it. So we took a, uh, ben- we took a vat of beignets, which, uh, was delivered and shipped, um, by one of my good friends. He created a company called Mo Beignet, St. Algrad. Um, we added that to the fermenter. And it came out, you know, very tasty. You get a little bit of that pastry uh, in in the, the aroma, but it's not like it's not sweet. It's balanced. Um, one of our IPAs we had, we infused raspberries into it. It's a peach rain funk IPA. Um, 
you know, with our styles, our flavor profiles, we just try to take things that people are accustomed to, but also have, add a little bit more complexity in it um, and try not to uh, make nothing overpowering. So we don't really have like extremely hop kicked products. We feel like they got enough of that on the market. And to be real with you, a lot of our market uh, demographic, it doesn't really go well with not only like the foods they eat, but just their, their flavor palettes. Like I didn't test it out a lot of extremely hot beers on our, our demographic and it just, you know, hit it's hit or miss, not enough to keep the lights on. So we, we try to, you know, do things a little bit different. Um, a lot of what we do, even like from the design with the products, we normally tell like a story. We don't use any kind of caricatures or anything like that. Um, it's true, authentic New Orleans, and we kind of use our beer as a Trojan horse to tell those stories. So I mentioned the P-Train Funk um, and paid homage to Punch Train Park uh, community, which is the oldest black suburban community in the U.S. Um, we did a product, Big Chief, uh, which paid homage to Chief Zakazulu of the Yellow Pocahontas. Um, I mean, the Golden Feathers. Um, he's a very much a, uh, a wealth of knowledge when it talks about Māori right Indian and masking culture. Um, so we, you know, we we just featured Big Queen, uh, a Big Queen product, which we paid homage to Dawn Richards, who um, most people know her from her um, her career as being a pop singer and an R and B singer. Yeah, and but she also masks with the Māori right Indians with the Wichita Nation. Um, we released a product called Bayou Cowboy. That's probably our most recent product. It's a white ale, uh, which is a kind of mellow IPA, um, very crisp, but it paid homage to Louisiana cattlemen and painted their story. We, we got a lot more things we want to do with the content, obviously, but those brands are, you know, trademark, wordmark. You know, we're not using any kind of goofy names. It's like really stories that's going to grow on and grow as we, we create those those product profiles. Mm. You, yeah. So you got five total SKUs now? Right now we got five that's on the market, but we've developed uh, 12 SKUs to date. Because oh, I was, I know you've done some partnerships and stuff mm-hmm. with some other. Um, yeah, we, and we, and we, um, and that's kind of like, that's something that a lot of, that's great in our industry. We do have a lot of fellowship where you collaborate with other breweries. So to date, we've uh, probably the biggest brewing company we collaborated with is Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, we created a product with them called Seed, Stalk, and Root, uh, which it was a uh, a beer again made. It's a dark lager. It was made with molasses and uh, a grain called Fonio, which is a West African super grain that I wasn't familiar with. My contribution was molasses, and we we launched that product at uh, Barrel and Flow Fest. Um, which was a fest is a festival is one of the largest black owned beer festivals is held in uh, Philadelphia. So we, um, we, we, you know, we just, we look for them opportunities. Uh, they're great ways for us to engage other markets and it's, uh, it's also great ways for us to tell our brand story. Yeah. Um, so I, I've had, I've, I've not tried all of them cause I hadn't had the black is beautiful yet. And I hadn't mm-hmm. been, I hadn't had the, uh, the queen mm-hmm. yet, but, um, you just kind of went over it, but like the flavor profiles of the beers, man, the big chief, when I got that, man, I must, I, I was drinking that for a month. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great is the ones I had left, I lost an eye. All the beer I had in my, cause I like craft beer. Mm-hmm. All the, all the beer I had left, um, got thrown away after I had it. Like that stuff was in my refrigerator mm-hmm. and my pops went clean out the refrigerator. Oh no. Pops. <laughs> I mean, I, we, it, it wasn't is that I'm like, we still haven't recovered all the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lost from the deep freezer after I had it because we left and went out of town. But man, the flavor profiles are so, are so distinct and unique. I like to think of myself as a beer drinker, even more than like um, I like Crown and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, how do you come up with the flavors? Like, how do you like the because I know 
in beer, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but like there's, there's chemistry involved in this. Yeah. So the thought of saying, okay, I want something with beignets in it, like for me, I'm like, that sounds crazy. Well, that, yeah, that, and that wasn't, you know, from a truly business minded standpoint, mm-hmm. that that type of product, when we do something like that and we do the, va- uh, the raspberries, puree and all that, those are more like a subtle like flex, right? Because it's not, it doesn't make the most business sense if you're going to expand the the ingredient quality profile that's going to expand the cost that's going to reduce your revenues but for those products you know we you know what with our seasonals we try to keep the the freshness of it so uh with those one of the one of the incentives with that uh black is beautiful product is it was an initiative launched at the george floyd that a lot of breweries partook in where a lot of the monies would go towards civil cases and unrest and then i also got you know opportunity to collaborate with one of my good friends and like he started a being company um so i was like all right Let's see how we can merge this in and make our product be extremely uh, hyper local by adding beignets into it. And that's the opportunity for, the, for us to do that with the raspberries. You know, it's hard to source the, uh, the raspberry profile we needed to make that IPA pop. But, it you know, we was paying homage to Punch Rain Park. So we wanted something that was like distinct that didn't taste like anything else on the market. So sometime, you know, I, I try to balance the books of of the product cost, like the cost of goods. And then also make sure it's something that could differentiate itself on the market. Because when you look at a craft beer market now, a wall shelf, it's like a graffiti wall. You got all these different competing uh, logos and brands and all of it looks good and tasty. So I just try to make sure, you know, from a strictly business standpoint, I can I can make a return on it. But also it, it has longevity to it. So. I mentioned the raspberries, all the, hun- all the honey we had into our beer. Um, if you popped over one of those stouts that we produced in like maybe 2018, it will still have a, a unique profile to it. It wouldn't be, um, we call it sellable beers in, in the, the real, I guess, culture of it. Like when you go to like hop shops, which are craft beer uh, stores that sell only beer, uh, they got a couple of them in the city, not many. I think only like three, but um, there's a, there's a, um, a following for people that like sellable beers where they can go to bottle shares and events and give it to their friends and family. And, you know, th- those beers normally exceed the one year shelf life when, you know, a lot of other beers just don't make it that long without. So we that's that's normally my focus. I try to make something that's going to be unique. It's going to taste good, but also can survive like a year, eight months uh, where it could finally get into the hands of somebody that might not be in the state, you know, in a lot of cases that, that has turned out pretty good for the brands. Mm. Man. I, I mean, to what you're saying, man, I, I, like I said, I love the, the, just the taste, man. Like some, some of the beers, I mean, I've had some to, to your point, you see the cool looking mm-hmm. stuff on the outside. You're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try that. And the stuff is just not really that good. Um, which I kind of use that to segue into the next question. Um, you know, you talked about it in the stores and everybody's got the different look and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff when you go to the crowd. And I'm specifically thinking of the Rouses near where I live and all the stuff that you see. From inception to now, I mean, you're now obviously in stores. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is that process to making your first batch to like getting a distributor or getting a co-pack or getting a distributor to getting in the store, <laughs> the stuff that you can talk about, to getting in a store over the last 12 years. Like, what what is that to, and not just get in there, but distinguish yourself. Like, how do you, like, get in there and now you, like, set yourself apart? Because you're right, I mean, I, again, I go to the stores and 
And usually, like, the, so the, the, I don't know if I call them classic brands, but your Budweiser mm-hmm. and stuff, they've got brand recognition, they got name. They don't have to, they don't get too crazy. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, because I think they get to a point where, like, they can't get too well, crazy. Well, they, they get, they get crazy, but they got the bankroll to, like, they, like, yeah, crazy I mean, is like, we're going to have a whole wall of yeah, a new no, product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, but I mean, like, the look, like, yeah. you know, you know, a Budweiser can, you know, I mean, if you think about in New Orleans, like, it was at Pony Beers, mm-hmm. Jacks, Fahlberg is came back. They're doing stuff. Um, and some of those beers like just have distinct. There's national and local ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get in a store? <clears throat> and then once you're in the store, how do you make people want you in the store? Well, it's like it's a lot. I guess from from my lens of operations. Um, you just gotta like, and it took me a minute. I just had to realize that you know you're competing against companies that are like 100 years old. Mm-hmm. I have the brain trust and experiences of like you know all these different generations. Whereas you know my company and a lot of my uh, my peers in this competitive space are um, are fairly new. You know we only like maybe five, ten years old. So you you kind of you just got to be so unconventional to get in these spaces. And a lot of what um, I guess I've, I've realized it's been my strength is ability to build relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, some some chains, when you got a national chain, building those relationships are a little bit harder. Uh, those that are local, uh, you can sometimes drive to them and set up uh, meetings. Um, but, you know, it, it really is you got to build relationships and then you got to stay stay constant with it because, you know, a lot of these positions, a lot of people that's in procurement, especially like with national chains, that, that's not a permanent position. Um, so, you know, you, it, it, it's, you know, there's no one way to it, man. I, I've done everything. And like, you know, Master P used to sell his products out the trunk. Like I give sample. I can't sell nothing directly to my, my customers. So I, I give samples away. I do a lot of incline donations. Um, the word amount is important. So like I, I make sure we, uh, we always are supporting uh, the community with inaugural festivals. Um, we do a lot of work with philanthropic and nonprofit partners. We call them our ecosystem partners. Um, so, you know, it, it's it, it's all these things. It's, there's no one way to entry. Um, even like your wins, you kind of you just got to compartmentalize your wins and move on. Like one thing I was proud of, we uh, we one of the first black owned beer brands or alcohol brands that had five SKUs for sale in Walmart at one time. So, you know, I was you know, I, was, I think. For a long time, my goal was chasing to being like a Walmart and a Rouse's. And then, you know, now uh, more realistically, you know, you got to look at, all right, what's the next step and what's the how are you going to grow and scale? Because you can't you can't just bask in that. You got to You can't be stagnant. So um, we've been reaching out to other states. Uh, we've been successful in getting uh, statewide distribution in Michigan. Uh, we're actively in pursuit of going into Texas right now. Uh, we have licensing where we can uh, distribute and sell our products in North Carolina for perpetuity, which is a pretty unique for that state. Um, Georgia, we also have a license to sell alcohol. And then, you know, I think the next biggest thing, particularly for a black owned brand, is getting access to distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have co-signs from major retailers and, you know, they could be biggest and successful as I don't know what. But if you don't have that distribution component, you pretty much are, are um, you know, restrained from going into those markets. So uh, it's it is uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a mind. I'm trying to think about how to summarize it. It's, it's something that just is very complex. You know, you take you think about distribution companies. Uh, they have like close to a thousand 
uh, employees. You know, it's all it's all everything is micromanaged. Uh, and then you have to file regulatory paperwork on alcohol for the liquid you're producing. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, you could, you could go, you could lose your mind kind of breaking bad on, on that. But, um, we, we've been very successful in our own footprint of getting access to new markets. And right now we even exploring international markets. Um, so we, uh, right now we actively engage with, the, um, the country of Thailand. Uh, we got some footprints and, um, markings in, uh, Ontario, Canada. Um, so it, it's, um, I, I just been real unconventional because there's no, there's no blueprint on how to, how to get into these markets for a brand that's our size, our age, and also with ownership that looks like me. So we, you know, we, we make, we make some interesting moves. <laughs> Man, that, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So w- within all of that, is it, is it a matter of, I guess, staying in can form or like, the thought of like kegs and being a restaurant like well because i don't know how complicated yeah so with kegs uh we would love to do kegs but we just don't have the we just really don't have the capacity to do that because like not only you know with us our mate our main state that we sell the most product in is michigan so every time you have like an item like that where the weight you got to consider like we, we ship and we I, I failed to mention right now while we're building our br- brick and mortar we co-packing out of virginia mm-hmm. uh prior to virginia we was co-packing out of uh portland oregon um, so, you know, that freight, that is a, that's always a lingering cost, like to be, to thinking about. So with the cans, with the aluminum cans, you know, one of the advantages of it is the biggest enemy to beer is sunlight. Um, that it doesn't have no sun that could penetrate the product. So you don't have, you have less risk of uh, any kind of product, um, inferiority or anything like that when it goes into these new markets. Um, the worst thing we can do in our space is not have the right packaging. And when you the customer first trial and then say, oh, I want to try a crab beer, particularly I want to try this crab beer and it tastes bad or skunky. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not only bad for the culture of craft beer, because we are still a, a smaller market in the, the full totality of beer. But also just, you know, for me, I'm, I'm wearing a representation of black beer. Right. So everything got to be legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we use pack tech that, that can support a lot of weight. Um, if you see in our cans, it's like this, and you, you probably see a lot of other crab beers. They have this like this a uh, hard plastic removable thing. Yeah, so all those things are factored in, and then aluminum is a lot less in weight and freight weight. So I can ship more product. If I was to use bottles, the only advantage I would see the bottles right now in the market was I, I would be able to get into like a lot more prestigious restaurants and bars that only want to have the presence of a bottle. You know, like I know, like in clubs. I don't know. I mean. It's sometimes it's kind of leaning a little bit, but you know, if you got a bottle in your hand, that, you know, some people like to hold something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different than somebody holding a can in their hand in the club, in a nice club or whatever. So you you lose some traction like that, but you just got to figure out what what you want to please and what you want to get done with your product. And for us right now, uh, cans is the best way to go. Okay. Yeah, and we, we we even do like sixteen ounce cans. We don't really we do like one product in the traditional twelve ounce. But for our market, we normally do, we sell our products in a 16 ounce four pack uh, design. Okay. I, I mean, I, I figured, man, the supply chain and all that stuff. You oh, yeah. You got to manage. And you, and you spoke about, uh, you spoke about COVID and all those different influxions oh, and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during COVID, man, on top of that, on top of Ida, our industry got hit with the worst uh, supply chain shortage of aluminum can materials since World War II. So that was, that was wild, bro. 
that <laughs> was like it was it was crazy because you know then it became like when you had these bid knobs where you know big companies would buy in bulk now uh cans and that's what led us to just strictly outside of our our, our flagship strictly focus on 16 ounce cans because all the 12 ounce cans in the market unless you was like coca-cola or operating on one of them those umbrellas you was getting taxed for it man so Wow, interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just, I mean, I, I just feel like there's a lot to what you do. Yeah. Um, and the co-packing side, and, and I think a lot of industries have to deal in in that space, seasonings and mm-hmm. all kinds of people. So that's, there's a lot to it. Um, before we get into rapid fire, one question, and I, I, I'm gonna ask this, and you have to pick something. What's your favorite flavor? And then also your best seller uh, over the years. So wh- which one? That you taste, because I tell you mine mm-hmm. is Big Chief, and it was crazy because I wouldn't even think I don't. I'm not a coffee drinker. It has like a coffee chocolate ish mm-hmm. type thing, a dessert type feel. What's what's your favorite? And then which one do you like, man? People really love this particular. So if I had to like, if I just had a long day and I was like, all right, um, I'm, if I'm like cutting the grass, I just need to knock back something. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, the honey ale. It's the it's the five it's five percent. It's it's more drinkable and palatable than everything else, and you can really like down it. Believe me, I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> but uh, right now, I like the I like the Bayou Cowboy a lot. Okay. You know, it's probably my favorite beer style. Is a white ale. Is uh is is mildly bitter. Um, it's not too overbearing. It's balanced. Has a, a crisp finish on it. Got a nice head. Uh, like a nice like foam head that creates like a silhouette in your glass. Smells good. That's probably my my favorite. Uh, if I had to drink, if I had to just drink one beer that I make for the rest of my life, it'd probably be that one. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I look forward to trying that. Okay. What's the best seller? Which one do you like? Best seller is the Honey Ale. Yeah. We okay. Big Chief was a because we we actually wasn't thinking about running the Big Chief stand uh, for that long because we, we we normally try to do like seasonal offerings and have the Honey Ale always be a mainstay and have the seasonals kind of do their thing and then stay limited and come back so they don't, you know, we don't want to overstay our welcome with anything. <laughs> um, but that Big Chief was selling like just as fast as the uh, the Honey Ale. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I personally, I, I like it. And I, I mean, I like more, you're like, I don't say fruity, but like citrusy, mm-hmm. wheat, like that type. And so that, that was a completely different profile for me. And I loved it. So I, I will say that. Um, all right. Rapid fire. So we got, I got 10 questions. Um, I'm going to ask you, you can say a lot, say a little, whatever you think. Whatever you think. However, however you want to run it. It's going to hit the mark. Um, okay. So favorite cocktail or drink, not named Cajun Fire. And I don't mean, it doesn't have to be a brand, but like what's something, like you go somewhere, you you at a restaurant. What's, what's a drink that you um, Old fashioned. Old fashioned. Or like our, or honorable mention, a Scotch Neat. Scotch neat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm not gonna ask which kind because we're not, you know, I'm not trying to give anybody. Hey, I just sometimes I say low shelf. Just <laughs> you ain't gotta be <laughs> scotch gonna be that. scotch. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Uh favorite Mardi Gras parade. Uh you can't be capping with this one. I like Nefertiti. <laughs> yeah, I do. Cause it's like I, you know, I, I bring my family out, man, and you know, I, I think for what they doing because it's in the east bro i just really think it's it's pretty cool like it's all woman-led mm-hmm. um like from an economic side i like that um i really i really do appreciate like what they stand for and they always got like 
you know, world class businesswoman that's that's running all this stuff and to, to organize a, a Mardi Gras parade and pop it off like that is uh it's to me is next level. But I like bringing my family out there too. So you know, it got a lot of themes and it'd be giving away like throwing out coloring books and books to read. So I, I just think it's pretty cool. I got a young daughter, so that, I think that's uh selfishly that's my favorite parade right okay. now. Yeah. I've never I've never been. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to I have to put that on the uh, on the list for next year. Okay. Uh when you are working, what are you doing most? Man, I'm um honestly probably just uh reading. Mm-hmm. I like to when I when I can kinda get present and really just take my mind off things I like to read. I don't I don't really read I don't ever complete no book any books, but I always read like chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think that's to me that's very peaceful. I like going to the gym. Uh probably can't tell because I ain't been in, <laughs> in a minute, but uh I do like I do like going to the gym and working out. Um let me see. That's, that's kind of it. Watching uh watching food television. I'm actually favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, all right. Um, secret talent. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, to be real with you, I'm I'm like out of like hobbies. Like I, this kind of be so all encompassing. I I really don't know. Um, that when you were young, that you like basketball, sports, or nothing. That yeah, you- I like I like swimming a lot. I mean, I, I swim pretty good. Okay. Um, I don't know, man. I just uh, man, I, mean, I, mean, I haven't been swimming. Man, I can't say the last time I. I can't say the last time I was swimming. It's been years. Yeah, I love the water, bro. Like you know, I don't, I don't really get to be in a, a pool per se as much as I used to. But mm-hmm. yeah, I like I like swimming in the water and swimming in the lakes, all that you know, bayous, all that, man. man I've been swimming. This is a good one. I haven't been swimming mm-hmm. in a long time. Um, I don't know if that's a talent, but you know, I, I know mean, a lot. I know a lot of people. Yeah, well, if you can't swim, is everything. Or, or swim. Well, I mean, I can. I can jump in the water and I can survive. Like, but I'm not. I'm not gonna win a race. I, I, I guess. All right, talent. I, I think it's something that's important. Is life season. I, I know CPR. Okay. I used to be a lifeguard. Okay. And it's something that I would challenge everybody to 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 just entertain because you never know when you're gonna have to use it. It's right. something that I hope I never have to use, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's something that is uh, that's a talent that I, I'm pretty proficient at. No, that's, I think that's uh, that's good to know. I went to an event last week and um, a lady was talking about she talked about CPR, but um, like a defibrillator, 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 how to use that stuff. Uh-huh. I'm like, that's interesting. She said, but she was talking about the lack of them in the city. She was like, there's only a few places in the city that have like open, accessible machines for people if somebody has just to try out. Yeah, like a cardiac in- thing. Like, you don't, so she, she's her nonprofit is on a mission of like getting more of those in the city, like restaurants and hotels. She's like, a lot of hotels don't have them. And, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the city like this where we eat nonstop. You never know when somebody it's might be choking hot. on something. It's yeah, it's hot. hot. Yep. It's hot outside. People, you go to festivals and people are always passing out, <clears throat> falling out and all kinds of stuff. Um, if you could attend a concert for any musical artist, dead or alive, who would it be? Man, alive right now? Uh, I ain't gonna lie. I, I kind of been vibing out the Anderson Pack. Okay. He had a pretty nice concert that I wasn't able to attend. So I had to, I was, I graced on some tickets and I had to uh, part ways with him. <laughs> so I, I and I, I had to look on Instagram and see like, oh man, I missed out. So I just like, I like that he incorporates a lot of live uh, instruments and he, you know, I know how to play a lot. Between him and um, 
Maxwell t- uh, concert is pretty cool, alive. Um, we're talking about R&B. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about rap in a clothes setting. Uh, Cameron is pretty cool. <laughs> Cameron. Kind of, so you see him in person? I saw him at uh, the Highland Wolf. How, how recent was that? That wasn't recent, but he alive. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the, dude, I, I know, I mean. Cameron and Jada Kiss, actually. I saw them at the Holland Wolf, and it was cool. Man, we, when I was at LSU, man, we listened to so much uh, Dipset. That was when, that was when <laughs> like, Rock, Rockefeller had, like, split up. There was, like, the Jay-Z side. Yep. And there was, like, the Cameron Jewels, all those guys. And, man, we just met. It, it was an entertaining concert, bro. It just it just was. Um, a dead, um, that's a whole one. I like, I mean, obviously Michael Jackson, but I like, um, I like Prince. I like Rick James. Yeah. Um, I like Luther Vandross. Yeah. Like that, I think that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's my my second. I love love music and um, talking about R and B people. Oh, and my my bad. I forgot. Alive, right? If I'm talking about an old school R and B, uh, Patti LaBelle, bro, like. Did you go see her when she was here? When she was at Essence, and then when I saw her when she was at Zulu uh, uh, Ball. It's like, bro, her music, when you're hearing it, and it's in them settings, it's almost like it, you, I almost got to, because I'm drinking and all that, you know, I'm having a good time. I got to make sure I'm, like, not vibing out too hard, because you, you'll feel like your spirit is leaving your body. <laughs> like, I ain't even lying. Like, I was like, damn. We just we just saw her at, uh, she was at Sanger. Okay. Me and my wife went a couple months ago, and we saw uh, um, yeah, acoustically though it's like nothing like it it's just it's, like it's, I mean she she said I don't even remember how old she said she was but she moves like she young yeah, I think she like in the late 70s Except I want to say yeah. something like late 70s we saw her we saw Anita Baker also Anita Baker babyface at the arena that was mm-hmm. so yeah man, that that old R&B um, that stuff will never die that stuff will live forever um, favorite TV show it could be now of all time. <clears throat> right now, I kind of like, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I like a lot of crime shows, but I, I try to not to watch it too much. So I try to watch uh, something that made me laugh. So I, I always find like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's funny. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's it ain't everybody. Crazy on that. It ain't everybody cup of tea. It's not, but it's, that's it's a good show. It's kind of weird because not, people don't really watch like syndicated programs like that. Like I think uh, something that always made me laugh that, that I watched as a kid and I could still watch now and just be joked out is uh, Martin. Uh, in Living Color. Um, yeah, that's 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 my shows. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's always sunny. That's a that's a crazy thing. I don't know any serious shows. I, I I can't really I can't really think of nothing I really gravitated toward recently that I really just binged like that. Yeah. I'll give you a show, but I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know what it's on. Maybe Showtime. Call Your Honor. That's like kind of based here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brian Cranston is in that. My wife, she I don't know how she found it or whatever, but we ended up watching. We watched the whole thing. Um, the Shy. My wife's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So that's a good show. Your boy Jason Mitchell used to be on there. Who's from here? The actor. Yeah. That yep. was easy. And that, um, that's a good show, too. And then The Wire is like. If you don't watch the wire, but oh yeah, I watched all that. Old, old, <laughs> I mean, you get in there and then the wire. That's that's days and days and days of watching. So, uh-huh. um, all right. So you wake up tomorrow. You sell a 
I know you're not, but if you did, so Cajun Fire. I said hundred million here, a billion dollars. Cajun Fire. You can get out the game. <laughs> you get out the game. You sell a billion. I'm out. I'm like, all right. <laughs> a billion. A billion. You ain't gonna see me again. Out, and you can start another business. What would it be? Um, I've been into like I like I like farming. Like I like I think I, I've been in, interested about that. I've been seeing like even like uh, uh, uh Rick Ross. I've been looking at how he been yeah, buying all yeah. this different land and acquiring all that. Um, if I could get into the space of uh, owning the land that would lead to like a a commercial development, like an MGM or something like that, that would that would be you know with a, with a, with that kind of buyout. <laughs> that's that's how I'll be thinking. Um but realistically, like let's just say if a, uh an entity was to buy a Cajun fire off, I was to sell it, uh my, my price would be around like, you know, the fifty million mark around that, you know, because I, I could always create another I'm a entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I could always create another business in, enterprise. And um, you know, I would I would just make sure it's something that my children could work on as well. Cause yeah. that's that's one of my goals is to make sure my children, hopefully, and my nephews don't have to, you know, work for nobody. You know, yeah. they, could, they could go straight to a business that they desire and, and get it popping instead of having to, you know, work on anybody and, you know, do all that, put in work and stuff like that. Yeah. So I asked this question to uh, to Tiffany from from Wix, and we had this discussion ended up going kind of <clears throat> a different way. But, um, you know, we talked about black businesses and selling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as of late, a lot of black musical artists have been selling their catalogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the black community, people hear that and they jump and feel certain ways about that sort of stuff. So it's, it's uh, I think to me, I'm like, everybody kind of has a price. I mean, like, you have the opportunity to potentially do something else. You might be able to do more <clears throat> selling your business and getting out and going and do something somewhere else. So, mm-hmm. um, to, so to hear you say that, I'm like, like I, I just, I mean, I think, like ultimately, well, we love to work in our businesses till we hire seven, 80, 80 years old, ninety years old. You know, of course, mm-hmm. it's something we can pass on or whatever. But what um, if you could do more? Possibly. Right, and you know, um, I think it's like two sides of it. it it's you know, because right now, you know, I, I would view I would view my company as building itself into an institution, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you want to have some component. There's always ways you can you can set up royalties or you can set up ownership where you know you can still have that that stake in it uh, for your community. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, it is an economy, and you you just never know somebody's financial situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, you know, I don't take too much grievance in. Um, when I see people selling selling whatever the intellectual properties are, brand. Mm-hmm. The only time when I take grievance in it or I have an opinion of my own to, fo- to form from it is when it's like, all right, you noticeably undersold. Uh, I wish you would have been around a team that could have let you know, hey, mm-hmm. you're, you're more valuable than that. You know, if you sell for a, a, a right a righteous value proposition, yeah. But if you undersold and undervalued and you sell it and you just didn't wait out for another person to come around and give you a right appropriation. And, you know, that's, that's the only time I'm like, Oh man, I wish, uh, wish somebody would have tapped them yeah, no, <laughs> on the shoulder. Right. You're right. So, and you like know? you said, you don't, you really don't know somebody's situation, but yeah. some of them artists has been like 250 million. Somebody came in and all that stuff. So. Well, yeah. And then, and then you got like a lot of, and you say like some of the artists, a lot of the artists that they happen to now, like they're younger. So, you know, you know, 
they they coming from backgrounds where they have they if you don't have nothing and you got somebody waving this big old bag in front of your face mm-hmm. then you're gonna jump into it you know you ain't gonna be reading your contract details and all that so that's true mm-hmm. that's true um okay last, last few if you could have any superpower which superpower would you want man i would uh <laughs> i would i would be let me see Something with time, some so I can control time. Because <laughs> uh, you, you can do everything with time. That's not a bad. That's not a bad. Uh, yeah. Bad thing. Um, because I see a lot of times I ask if you go back in time with your same knowledge. I ain't, I ain't trying to go back in time, but <laughs> not too far. I ain't trying to go back at all in time. I mean, even right now, it's like all right. Uh, you know, I think you kind of. Uh, it, it would be advantageous if you could if you can control time because if you could stop it and get things done you know you can you can get a lot you can like yeah, get a lot you can move a lot of mountains you can do whatever you that's know? true that's true um <clears throat> one thing about you that nobody would ever guess hmm. i don't know man I, um i don't sound too vain i just i i really don't be you know, I, I really don't be thinking in my head like that. You know, I just be kind of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a I got a soy sauce company I'm creating right now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I've been studying how to make soy sauce as well as a uh, mayonnaise. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it's a lot of opportunity for those kind of condiments to to have more uh, competitors. Okay. Uh, so I'm looking at getting into that space. Okay. Uh, with with creating a branch off product. Because, uh, you know, with the beer, um, so far so good, but it is a very volatile industry. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure I have like other um, other streams of uh, revenue incubating just in case, you know, uh, I might have to <laughs> might have a, a court ba- battle that doesn't go in my favor because that's that's a reality. Understandable. Okay. Yeah. Um, last rapid fire. Best advice you, you've ever received. Um, I got two. So um, one is uh, you can you only can control what you can control. Mm-hmm. So another one is have a faith of a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. So between both of those, you know, I think uh, you know you just you you have to stay prepared and you have to stay in the state of um, you know all right this is how that day went and compartmentalize that and move on. Mm-hmm. You know I I don't like really basking in you know the the, the losses or the wins. You know I like to just keep it keep it moving be consistent. Yeah, and I think both of those. Uh, I sometimes tell myself that, you know. Yeah, I, I mean that's if somebody hear that and be like, "Man, that sounds simple," but I'm like, I really think that's a very Shit. that's profound. It's, that's profound. That's it's profound. hard to hard to control all them emotions, especially it's, when you you feel played. It's as pro- it's, <laughs> you know, it's, pro- it's profound, <laughs> and, and especially in business. I'm like, that stuff is profound. Like they're really just somebody said, "There's no good days or bad days. It's just days." So I, I don't know. If I, I ain't reached that level of. <laughs> of Maturity yet, I, but I mean, uh, of course, I mean it's a hard, it's a hard place. I listen to um, I don't know Eric Thomas. I don't know if he was a lot of ET uh-huh. hip hop preacher or whatever. And they like I've they did like a um a thing in Mexico that they did it this year. I didn't go this year, but I went last year or whatever. But they like it's some somewhat inspirational, but it's about entrepreneurship and like you know talking about working through trials and tribulations and all that stuff. But it's just like kind of what you're saying is like there is no like. It's just actions and then actions that come off of that because they're like, you may make a mistake that set you up for a hundred good things after. Mm-hmm. That. Or you may do something good 
get comfortable and then that you slack off and, and lose the next 10. It's like you really just want to win more than you losing kind yeah. of thing. Well, it, and it's a it's like a give and a take. So in our, in our space, you know, I, I say that control you can only control what you can't control. But not only that's a like a that's like a last ditch thing I just do to protect my mind. Like so I had I can control my anxiety because by the, by the time I didn't got to repeating them quotes, I didn't already, I didn't went already down the rabbit hole of all the different yeah. ways a scenario can go yeah. bad and yeah. how it can go good. So I, I just normally when I'm like, all right, I'm ready to close this. Let's roll with it and see what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. That's that's where that's where I come with that resolution. Mainly the one is you know, you just gotta you just gotta stay positive and you just gotta uh, work to your best ability. That's all you can. That's all you can put forward. I agree. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just la- last few questions. One thing you learned about. Um, one thing you learned as an entrepreneur about yourself and then one thing you learned about business um, since you started so one thing I learned about myself is like I learned uh, I learned everything I mean you, you really you learn your health you learn um, like for instance like you know you learn stuff like you, you really are you, in my position because I got to run so many things I need my brain to be really on it you 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 start taking notice on like your blood pressure your your um your levels you know you're getting your checkup like you know it, it comes across worlds where you got so much stuff that's relying on you just being in a good state of mind that you got to be cognizant of all those different things um you know i'm cognizant of what i eat cognizant of, i mentioned working out i'm cognizant of how much i work out i'm even cognizant on when i need to you know commit more family time and being that balance so you kind of really learn yourself like i learned I got <laughs> on my end. I, I I probably have like a lot of anxiety, um, but uh, I realize I'm very determined. Mm. So like I, I noticed like I, and I don't really believe in. I don't like to get into like, all the moon stuff, right? <laughs> but I, I think my personality is very well suited for what I do. Like I'm very uh, analytical. So like even like in the beer, like one of the biggest things that differentiates good beer from bad beer is the level of detail that you commit to the cleaning process of your equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't sanitize and scrub and really get into the minute details of uh, not um, contaminating different uh, vats because you're dealing with a lot of yeast and stuff like that, um, you're going to have some bad beer. Mm-hmm. So um, I've learned that that's my that's my, um, you know, that's my pipeline. I'm, I'm very analytical with things. Um and I can also compartmentalize like things so I can do my day to day without being distracted. Um, one of the things that the business side has taught me is that, you know, the economy is very tribal. So, you know, you, you know, we're in a city where we got like a lot of old, um, like some of the oldest lineages. So you have that element. Um, you have a, a lot of poverty, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you have that, that ele- element as well. So it's like, you know, you gotta, you just gotta realize how, like whenever you come into a shelf space or uh, whenever you get in, in placement into a store in my position, getting in placement into a space, you taking bread off somebody else's table. And, you know, if you can't see it for what it is, then you're just going to be hitting all kind of different hurdles and thinking, thinking something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So um, I've learned just how tribal business can be, especially when you're a, a market disruptor. Mm-hmm. What's uh what's next for Cajun Fire? Uh, well, we we are knee deep in getting access to those uh, international markets. I think that's gonna be something that's gonna be unprecedented. You know, right now I'm on task to be the first uh, black owned beer brand um, that has access to international markets and has done trade. So we've, you know, COVID kind of 
um, shelter some of those those progress and uh, getting access to those markets. But now the restrictions have been reduced. You know, we're right on par. And it probably was for the best when I first was engaging um, these kind of conversations and talking with different uh, embassies and delegates and stuff like that. It was like early, late 2018. Um, a lot of opportunities was coming quick, fast, in a hurry. And I probably just didn't have the the business acumen or just the the not only the resources but the understanding of these different markets that I was interested in to to really take advantage of the opportunity if it fell on my lap. Well, now because I've been able to incubate, work in a silo, and really figure out how I'm gonna come into these different spots and also ally myself with different partnerships, um, it looks like you know I'm gonna be possibly in those markets within the, the latter part of uh, next year. So that's the that's the biggest thing. And I just I just did a, a trade mission to Thailand. I was out there for two weeks. And uh, it was uh, it was crazy, man. I um, honestly, I didn't go out there as prepared as I was I would like, but I knew what I knew. I know I'm an expert in my own right in my space. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to uh, negotiate and talk with eight different embassy leaders uh, from representing eight different countries. I I got a sit down conversation where they drank and tried my products out with two different prime ministers. Um, got featured on Thailand CNBC, oh. and I was I don't speak none of that, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, I know, I know what I know and what I know is beer production and, uh, you know, especially in my space where it's so competitive and I'm the only one in a lot of cases that look like me in the room. Um, you know, I, I had to make sure I'm, I'm really savvy on the, the side of sales, marketing and let alone execution of a brand. So I think that's something that, uh, we, we can see ourselves going into. Um, we're trying and I do say trying. We, we hopeful we can get our, our brick and mortar location up before Super Bowl arrives in some capacity okay, okay. Uh, so we can take advantage of this. So that, that 2025 number is uh, very much lingering in the back of my head. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's that's the goal. Like once we get that brick and mortar location set up, we can participate in all kinds of research and development and really increase our product profiles, but also increase all the different auxiliary businesses that we can, we can drive with the company. Okay. You got a lot going on. You got a lot going on. So <laughs> I look, look, I'm, and I, I followed, I mean, I followed you before I met you. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> you know, you, Greg, you know, just a lot of Sonny from Son of a Sun. Like, I just kind of watch, <laughs> watch y'all as a black male business owner, which is as a business owner, uh, especially as a black business owner to see like, what y'all are doing. What's, what's like, how are y'all shaping things? Um, involved in the city and all that stuff. So I, I look forward to your journey and hopefully you, you know, you enjoy the journey and all that stuff to, to get to that. Because again, like I said, a lot of stuff's on brand for you. Like mm-hmm. it's just been like, man, you talked about getting to the land and going through the weeds and all I mean, it just it's symbolic to me of like your, your journey, like hearing you tell your story and all of that stuff to where you are now. So I, you know, naturally you, you just kind of clear that brush. And then for the next person who wants to start, a beer company like because you yeah. did that yeah because i mean it, to me you know the other side of it is you know I, i'm a i think i'm a i'm in a position where i position my brand uniquely where i'm gonna be successful like kind of regardless mm-hmm. uh, i want to make sure and I, I didn't get a chance to mention this I, um i found it with a couple other beer entities mm-hmm. uh the first national black brewer association so you know for me it's always about not being the first but making sure i ain't the last and that's my that's my 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 kind of my uh, evolution of my mission, because it's like, you know, it, it, we have to get in a space, particularly black America. We got to get in a space. Where we own some economies of scale. And uh, right now, you know, you mentioned like some of the restaurants and things. It's really for an area 
that's as big as us, even in, in Kenna, you don't really have that much. Uh, uh, you don't have that many restaurants, like high end restaurants mm -hmm. uh, for all of the um, the contributions our city has given the world, like with jazz music and all these different patents. We don't really have nothing we build and like talking about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I'm hopefully, you know, I ain't trying to be the only one in this space that's reinventing the wheel and getting it, getting it moving. But, you know, like yourself, bro, you're a component of that as well. Like I watch you grow and evolve and, you know, um, your, your so, social media savvy, savviness is off the chain. <laughs> Mine is like, is he alive? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could take the credit. I, I had to because I'm like I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot. Yeah, I don't like I'm just not I don't like to share. I mean I I don't really like to like talk. I'm like I just want to do the work. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like I don't feel like telling you every single thing I do. And that's to say I mean I know you you working like you you know what I mean. If you're not, <laughs> if you're not. Talking, I'm glad I'm glad people give me the benefit of the yeah, doubt. It doesn't, it doesn't be it doesn't be you not do it. I, I, I just I don't know because because especially at a time like now with businesses. It's so much about looking like you are something mm -hmm. or doing something as opposed to actually like doing it and people kind of <laughs> falling for that. And then like you just, so I'm like, I mean, that, this times I'll do stuff and the person who handles my social media will be like, did you tape it? And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Cross my mind. So it's just, so I, I, I definitely have a lot of respect, whether you put it on, on social media or not, or, or a lot of respect for what you're doing and, and all of that stuff. Cause, um, I don't know. It's hard to tell who's real and who isn't. Well, you, well, let me. Okay, you mind? I do one shameful plug. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, so they got a. Um, and I, I'm real, like like you mentioned. I'm, I'm more like uh, introverted. I don't really like sharing like that because I just don't have a. I just don't have a. I just don't have the energy to be that on. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I used to work in corporate, and being on like that is like man, it, it drained my battery like mm -hmm. to the to the ground. So. Um, and a lot of people probably know what I mean when I say being on. Um, but I'm in a film called One Pint at a Time. Um, it's done exceptionally well. It's an independent film. Um, it was shot by a Ruben film crew. And it really, like, you know, if, if anyone that's in the listening audience wants to check it out, it really gives you a, a amazing landscape on, like, black contributions to the crab beer industry as well as um some of the pioneers that's in this space the, the new era of pioneers that's in this space because uh you know my company we recognize as the fifth black owned beer company but to be honest with you I always take that with a grain of salt because uh prior to like you know jim crow and all that we wasn't recognized as human so you couldn't own the llc there's been countless uh beer companies pioneers in this space that have occupied it as brew uh even like you know what you're experiencing with um uncle nearest and their rise and that story coming out about you know the evolution of jack daniels and his contributions that's, that's across the board you know there's no industry that didn't have an inception from black hands when it comes to manufacturing in america so uh you know we we uh with the national black brew association we look to engage we look to inspire but also tell that story in that film one pint at a time if you can if you can check it out it's uh it's it's it very well captures everything uh, and and it follows my efforts as well as um a person that I'm fond of that's one of my my you know we we do a lot of partnership with is Rhythm Brewing Company based out of Connecticut mm -hmm. a black woman owned uh, beer brand first in the state um as well as a, a black owner from uh, Tampa who has a company called Be Less Brewing Company mm -hmm. so you know um it's worth checking out um and again it's one pint at a time I think the website is like one pint at a time dot org but um. That film has won like a hundred plus independent film awards, and I've been kind of touring with them to different random locals that my um, 
I was trying to, I ain't want to say my ass, but you know, my ass ain't got no way to of experiencing. So uh, if there's one thing that I've, I've definitely appreciated as a student of this industry is the fact that it exposed me to all different uh, kind of communities that I've, I've never would have imagined um, experience if I took any other profession, you know. So I, I'll put a link to it. I'll put a link to it in the uh, like in the show stuff on on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, even on, when I put it for the um, the the uh, oh man the podcast. Okay. So I'll put I'll put the link in there to it. I saw I hadn't had a chance to watch it, but I saw it. It's it's cool, man. It, like I said, it's shot very nice. Uh, it's very engaging, but it, it's it is surprise you just like and it, and it only like it only really glances over a lot because they had a lot to cover like a lot of content as you can imagine like an hour and 40 minutes or an hour and 30 mm-hmm. uh, but it's a lot to cover and when you see the grand just how it's shot and how it's scaled up it's like man it might inspire others to get into this space I know like a lot of people have seen it and got invested into the industry and you know it's it's a multi-billion dollar industry and um, people are not going to stop consuming bit no time soon so that's a fact that's mm-hmm. a fact um, where can folks find you? Where can they find the beer? So we um in New Orleans, uh, Southeast Louisiana, we we um, we distributed by Southern Eagle mm-hmm. uh, Sales and Distribution. Um, find us in uh, Walmart, Total Total Wines, Trader Joe's, Rouse's, uh, Conseco's, and uh, a couple other like you know mom and pop restaurant stores or specialty stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Michigan, uh, we carry by Imperial Beverage, uh, so they cover us statewide. Okay. So we were looking at expanding that footprint. And um, you know, just trying to be a, a brand name that, that people could have have a uh, good good celebrations with. Yeah. Well, social media. What's the at drinkcajunfire.com. dot com. So it's it's there. We 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 timed it where we try to just release. Honestly, we only really post on it when we are doing uh, events with different partners. So I know, like coming up soon, we uh, we are sponsored with Zydeco Festival. Okay. Um, we have some sponsorships that we always do annually with Bayou Fest. I mean, um, Bayou Classic. Um, that might be a title. Bayou Fest need to do something with that. <laughs> but Bayou Classic. Um, we we try to always, you know, New Orleans East Festival. We did the inaugural one. We're gonna do it again. Um, so we we try to always partner up with like community events, and and that's that's really where we we get the best exposure at these festivals because that that's where you get the full community come out support, and we like to be a part of those those vibrations. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, again, I, I appreciate you for sitting down with me doing this. This is always good. Always, bro. Always. always. I'm, always I'm looking for the next box of care. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Show Some NOLA Experience. Don't forget to check us out online at ShowSomeNOLA.com.